Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Our series is entitled The Son of God. Understanding the Gospel of John, Part 1. A verse-by-verse audio commentary, part of the larger Understanding the Bible series. We are continuing to learn about Jesus through this amazing Gospel of John. Ultimately, it's really important that Jesus' identity is clear to us. Because once you know who he really is, then a response is required of you. Do you want him as your Savior and Lord, or do you want not to have him and pretty much take your chances? We believe that such a gamble will ultimately be lost. So John's gospel is a mission of mercy. It's a powerful apologetic. It is beautifully written, and it gives us words of life. Because if Jesus wasn't who he said he was, we could safely ignore him and go our way. Not that it would be a very good way, and not that we have a very blessed life, but we could do it. But if he is telling us the truth, then we need to give him our all, knowing that he has given us his all already. We've learned that John, the beloved disciple, the author of First, Second, and Third John and Revelation, is also the author of the gospel that bears his name. He's the son of Zebedee and Salome, the brother of James. We learn through John 20 and verse 31 that the gospel of John was written to inspire our faith in Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. And this is pretty much the theme of the gospel as well. In our last lesson, we looked at how John is going to persuade us on the true identity of Jesus through seven miracles, seven I am statements, and seven discourses. Seven, in other words, speeches or sermons highlighting a great spiritual truth. Now, there is one other, and perhaps you can say two other ways that John makes the case irrefutably that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And he does it through what is called the five witnesses. John chapter 5, verses 30 to 40. So in these 11 verses in John 5, he tells us about five witnesses. The first witness is John the Baptist. John the Baptist actually is the forerunner, making the way straight for the coming king. And John didn't know Jesus very well, even though they were relatives. But as soon as he sees him, he recognizes him for who he is there at the Jordan River. In fact, he says, really, I don't know what's going on here. You should be baptizing me, Jesus, and yet you come to me for baptism. Jesus, of course, tells him it has to be so for now because it becomes us to fulfill all righteousness. So John baptizes Jesus. But what we're going to learn, it wasn't just John who affirmed Jesus' identity. At his baptism in the River Jordan, you have the other members of the Godhead making their public debut. The Holy Spirit came upon Jesus like a dove. He is God the Spirit. And the Heavenly Father spoke out of heaven at the time of Jesus' baptism, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. 
So there you have it, the triune God basically making their appearance at the baptism of Jesus, which is at the very, very beginning of his public ministry. Prior to that, Jesus lived in obscurity in the village of Galilee known as Nazareth. We're going to also learn that the miracles of Jesus testify to his true identity, that the Heavenly Father testifies to his true identity, and the Scripture Of course, many scriptures, many prophecies tell us that Jesus really is who he says he is. And then let's not forget Moses, the great lawgiver. Moses also knew who Jesus was, and it is affirmed. As basically, Jesus is equating himself with the Old Testament, I am, or Yahweh, or sometimes we call it Jehovah. In other words, God himself. Let us continue to introduce the five witnesses to Jesus. First is John the Baptist. The second are the miracles. Remember how many miracles are recorded in John's gospel? Officially, seven. There is what I call the bonus supplemental miracle that happened after Jesus walked in the water and then got in the boat on the Lake of Galilee. The third witness is God the Father. And of course, God is affirming Jesus through, well, his presence, the answers to prayer, and occasionally his voice speaking out of heaven. It absolutely freaks out those who are witnesses to Jesus and standing there when this happens. That's one of the great reasons why God uses human prophets, because people are just not used to his voice. It's so majestic. In fact, it says in the Psalms, that God's voice breaks the cedars of Lebanon, which are mighty majestic trees, and basically turns them into toothpicks. That's how powerful the voice of the Lord is. So God the Father affirms the sonship and messiahship of Jesus. The fourth witness is Scripture. And, of course, the Gospel of Matthew, along with other Gospels, as well as much of the New Testament, is replete with fulfilled prophecies that were given about the first coming of Jesus, as well as of the second coming of Jesus, too. And then finally, you have Moses. Basically, what Jesus says, don't think I will accuse you before the Father. In fact, the one that's going to accuse you is Moses himself. Moses basically wrote about me. And that's what Jesus says. Now, It might seem very grandiose, it might even for some who don't understand seem arrogant that Jesus made these claims to greatness. But remember, arrogance is only arrogance if it isn't true. Arrogance means an inflated sense of self-importance. Anyone who's even the least bit objective reading the story of Jesus will find he wasn't arrogant in his words, he wasn't arrogant in his actions. Don't confuse confidence and boldness with arrogance. They are two different planets, two different sides of the Grand Canyon. One side is, of course, on the South Ridge, which is very high, and the other side is in the very bottom of the canyon where the Colorado River flows. They're very different. Jesus actually was meek and lowly in heart. He was always deferring to the Heavenly Father. He sought God in prayer. That is not an act of arrogance. Arrogant people are not normally effective in prayer. Jesus was, as well as all people who follow in his footsteps. So Jesus makes these claims, not because of any arrogance, but because they're true. And the truth 
of Jesus and his identity, as we will learn in John chapter 8, is what will set you free. Truth is liberating, even if it is confrontational, even if it is uncomfortable, even if it goes against the current culture of which God's truth does so oftentimes. But when it's true, and we receive it, and imbibe it, and walk according to it, then we are set free. So as I said earlier, Jesus is basically equating himself with the Old Testament I Am, as well as, really, the Old Testament God, who is, of course, the Heavenly Father. You can read this in John four twenty-five to 26, John 8, 24, 28, 58, John thirteen nineteen, and John 18, 5 to 6. At the same time, the amenity of Jesus is also well illustrated in the Gospel of John. We learn that he becomes thirsty in John 4, 7. He becomes weary in verse 6 of the same chapter. He has dependence, John five nineteen. He has grief. Apparently, he wept at the tomb of Lazarus. He had a troubled soul in John twelve twenty seven. He had anguish unto death in uh, chapter 19. So Jesus has his humanity as well as his divinity on full display for anyone to see. And then we have this other proof of who Jesus is. Seven signs, seven I am statements, seven discourses, five witnesses, and we have now the portrait of Christ in John. As I often teach, every book of the Bible, the 39 in the Old Testament, the 27 in the New Testament, every one of them has a portrait of Christ. If they didn't have portraits of Christ in the Old Testament, then the Old Testament wouldn't be part of our Bible, but they do. Part of the case that John makes for the identity of Jesus is by the portraits or labels that he gives to the Son of God. So, for example, chapter 669, that we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. And, of course, let's not forget the seven I Am statements. We also know he is God because it says in the very, very beginning of the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The way the Gospel of John begins is almost like reading Genesis all over again. Genesis 1, as well as John 1. Genesis 1 and verse 1 says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. John chapter 1, 1, as I just said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I look forward to sharing more about these verses as we get to the verse-by-verse commentary. But Jesus is equated with the Word, the divine Word, or Word of God. We also know that the Word was God. So Jesus is called God because Jesus is the Word. He is also called the true light. God is light, it says in 1 John 1 and verse 5. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. We also learn that he is the only begotten Son. In John 1, 18, and of course the beloved verse, John 3, 16. And then we know he is the Lamb of God. John 1, 29. The Lamb of God 
who takes away the sin of the world. Here's another one, John 1, 49. He is called the King of Israel. Now, of course, who is the greatest king of Israel? It was David. And it's David's son who will sit on his throne forever, who will also be known as the king of Israel. But he won't just rule over Israel. He's going to rule over the whole world when he comes again. He is called in John 3, verse 2, teacher from God. He is called the bread of life. But what else? He is called the gift of God. John 4 and verse 10. And in verse 42, guess what? He's called the Savior of the world. All this is great. And there's still more. He is called the seed of David. He is called the light of the world. He is called I am in John eight fifty-eight. He is called the door of the sheep. John 10, verse 7, as well as in verse 11, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life. John eleven twenty-five, the way, the truth and the life, the true vine. All of these are, of course, from his I am statements, but probably one of the greatest phrases or portraits of Jesus to be applied was at near the very end. In John 20, verse 28, when doubting Thomas, having felt the nail prints in his hands and having put his hand to his side to feel where the spear had pierced Jesus, when he hung on the cross and out of the wound came blood and water, when doubting Thomas actually touched him where it hurt the most, he makes this exclamation, my Lord and my God. Finally, the penny dropped. Thomas got it. Jesus is the son of David, the son of God. But it's interesting, of course, what the Lord said to him, Thomas, you believe because you have seen. Blessed is he who believes without seeing. Or as Augustine says, we believe in what we do not see, and we will see what we believe. My Lord and my God. Well, that leads us now, having looked at the blueprint, the battle plan of proving the true identity of Jesus. Let's also now look at the key verses of the Gospel of John. I want to offer you three sections. What is a key verse or verses? Well, basically, these are verses that summarize the whole book. And I want to offer three sections, as I said. The first comes from John chapter 1, verses 11 to 13. John 1, 11 to 13. It says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's John chapter 1, verses 11 to 13. Then I want to read from John 20, verses 28 to 31. And it reads, And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing ye may have life in or through his name. 
or better still, that believing ye might have life through his name. And then, of course, how can I talk about key verses without mentioning perhaps what is the most famous verse in the entire Bible that doesn't just summarize the Gospel of John, it summarizes the whole of the Word of God. Can you guess the reference for this key verse? Yes, it's John three sixteen, and it reads, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the Bible and the Gospel in summary. Praise God for all that. And so, we're going to continue to learn the introduction to John, and then, once that's finished, we will commence our verse-by-verse commentary. taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 